I want you to take your Bible and open it to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 9. How many love the Lord Jesus today? I love the Lord. I love the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for what I feel right now. He's good to us. Amen. And his peace passes our understanding, and I'm thankful for it. Today, we go to Isaiah chapter 9. I'm going to read from the Passion Translation. The Passion Translation um, uh, off of the screen today. And uh, we're going to preach a message today called The Child of Promise. How many know that Jesus is the Child of Promise? Say amen, somebody. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, let's read this together. No more gloom. Y'all going to have to wake up and catch it. No more gloom. How many know that's good gospel news right there? No more gloom for those who are in distress. Although the Lord greatly humbled the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, he will one day bestow upon them great honor. From the Mediterranean eastward, to the other side of the Jordan and throughout the Galilee of the Gentiles. Those who walked in darkness have seen a radiant light shining upon them. They once lived in the shadows of death, but now a glorious light has dawned. Lord, you have multiplied the nation and given them overwhelming joy. They are ecstatic in your presence and rejoice like those who bring in a great harvest, those who divide up the spoils of victory. For you have broken the chains that have bound your people and lifted off the heavy bar across their shoulders. The rod the oppressor used against them, you have shattered all their bondage, just as you did when Midian's armies were defeated. Every boot of marching troops and every uniform caked with blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born for us. A son has been given to us. The responsibility of complete dominion will rest on his shoulders and his name. I feel like preaching today. And his name will be the wonderful one, the extraordinary strategist, the mighty God, the father of eternity, and the prince of peace. Great and vast is his dominion. He will bring immeasurable peace and prosperity. He will rule on David's throne and over David's kingdom to establish and uphold it by promoting justice and righteousness from this time forward and forevermore. This child is a child of promise. Can someone say amen? amen. Father, thank you for your word. It's already blessed my soul. And I pray today you will let me preach and teach and with revelation and a spirit of wisdom and revelation, may I declare the word of God today. May the people of God in this room with open hearts receive the word without hindrance or distraction. And I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in James' life right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone said amen. You may be seated. 
2,700 years ago, there was a prophet of God whose prophetic ministry was wide and deep. And specifically, this prophet spoke more about the coming Messiah than any other prophet in the Old Testament. Born into a royal family in Judah, Isaiah, the son of Amos, prophesied for just over 50 years of his life and he spoke as the oracle of God to God's people. As you read the prophecy of Isaiah, some of Isaiah's prophecy was a prophetic reminder to God's people to live by God's laws and to operate according to God's precepts. When they rebelled, the prophetic ministry of Isaiah became a prophetic warning to these rebellious people. And in 722 B.C., after ignoring years of prophetic warning from Isaiah and other prophets, after ignoring the heart of their heavenly father, the Assyrian army came into the northern region of Israel and they took thousands and thousands of Jews into captivity and they began what was one of the darkest chapters in the history of Israel. For 20 years, the Assyrian kingdom besieged the land, the northern land of Israel and viciously took the people of God, the northern tribes of Israel, out of their land and they led these people of God to the banks of the river of Gozan in the Assyrian city of Habor, where there the Jewish people sat in agony, separated from their homeland and surrounded by a hostile enemy who daily reminded them of their defeat and their rebellion against God. This group of northern tribe Israelites were hopeless. They, without God, were helpless. History records that among the first to be attacked by the Assyrian kingdom were the territories of Zebulun and Naphtali. Their lives were ruined by the invasion of the Assyrian army. They lost family. They lost homes. Many were savagely beaten. Many felt the rod of the oppressor. They even lost something far worse than their physical possessions. They lost their purpose. They looked back and it was dark and gloomy. They looked to the left and to the right and life was full of darkness and gloom. They even looked ahead and they looked forward. They could not see anything in the future worth living for. Everywhere they looked, it was dark and gloomy to the people of God. These people, the people of Naphtali and Zebulun, would sit under this spell of darkness this sentence of hopelessness for 700 plus years. 700 years of gloom. 700 years of defeat. 700 years of lifeless existence. 700 years of lost identity. 700 years of lament and regret. 
But when I flip to the ninth chapter of the book of Isaiah, breaking through the darkness and the devastation, comes the voice of the prophet Isaiah to specifically this group of people who were the first carried off into, into Assyrian captivity and into this hopeless region and to these hopeless people, the prophet burst onto the scene with the greatest Christmas message they could have ever heard. No more gloom. No more darkness. And oftentimes we think that God is coming and God is going to help those who have all their ducks in a row and those who've uh, been living in the light. But I came today to tell you that the good news of Jesus is that not only is he coming for people who have their act together, but I think the better news is he's coming for people who've been sitting in darkness for a while. People who've made a mess out of their life. People who have made some bad choices. People who have, have experienced a mess of their own making. Because Jesus Christ did not come for those who have it all together. He came for the lifeless. He came to those who feel forgotten. And Isaiah 9 reminds us that no matter how long you have sat in darkness, light is on the way. There's a message from heaven today for the hopeless and that that message is that God has a plan to expel the darkness and to bring light to your life and change your very future. He's about to take someone from gloom to gladness. Someone is moving from junk to joy. Someone is leaving trash and becoming treasure. You're moving from the shadows of death into a place of shouts of deliverance. Something is going to happen today. Something is changing today, and it's not just changing for those who have a great resume. It's changing for the least. It's changing for the forgotten. There is nobody listening to me preach today that Jesus did not come to give life to. Here, here is the good news. No matter how far you are away from God, you are only one prayer away from him drawing near to your life and turning your situation all the way around. Somebody believe it, say amen. The Bible says that Isaiah told those who were sitting in darkness, great hope is coming. Light is getting ready to burst forth. Those who sat in the shadow of death are coming into a place where they're going to experience life like they've never experienced it before. And when he began to prophesy this, can you imagine how all eyes and all ears were on the prophet? Everyone wanted a source of hope. Everyone wanted to hear something to bring them joy. Everyone was looking for a message that would allow them to rise up and move forward. They all felt trapped. They all felt like there was no hope. And your Bible says that when Isaiah began to prophesy hope and when he began to prophesy life and when he began to prophesy joy, you, you, you wonder how is this going to come? What is this gift of joy going to look like? What is this gift of new life going to look like? What kind of package is it going to come in? 
And after he gets through setting the stage and building their, their, their expectation and raising up their level of hope, he says, this is the answer. Are you ready for this? This is the answer. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. I want to preach to you today that that baby that was born through the virgin womb of Mary was more than a good luck charm. He was more than a religious guru. He was more than a religious icon. He was the very savior of the world. Jesus did not come to put a band-aid on my misery. He came because I was a messed up foul creation who needed new life and I could not give it to myself what I could not give to myself I found in a man named Jesus Jesus gave us new life Jesus gave us a new way of living and today we're not here because we met another man we're here because we met the man we met Jesus he found us and saved us anybody thankful to be saved today don't miss this about Christmas. Christmas was and is birthed in the middle of the greatest darkness. Do you understand that every year, it seems like every year, every new year offers a new reason to despair? Every year. It's not just 2020. If you look back, at, I know 2020 has been like the year, right? Come on. Uh, never been a year like 2020, but every year's got a reason for pain. Every reason's got another layer of unrighteousness and we see the effects of a fallen world all around, all around us and we grieve over the condition of the world and we think, well, it wasn't this bad when Jesus was born. Honey, it was dark when Jesus was born. It was a messed up world when Jesus was born. But I want to tell you, he doesn't wait on perfect scenarios with perfect politicians and perfect political parties and perfect people coming to perfect churches before he demonstrates his love and power right in the middle of the darkness right in the middle of hell's headquarters Jesus said I came to build a church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it somebody thank God for victory today so where's the hope coming from for people who are sitting in darkness where is the hope coming from Isaiah points to a manger he says behold a child is born for us, and a son is given. Let me drop a theological nugget in your mind to think about later. The son wasn't born. The son was eternally existing. The child was born. The son was given. Oh, that's deep and good all at the same time. And when they looked to the manger, and when they looked to the child... And when they looked to this son that was given, the Bible said, Lord, I got caught up in this this week and it blessed my soul. For unto us a child is born. Who is us? Us. Red us. Yellow us. Black us. White us. Rich us. Y'all not helping me, but I'm helping myself. Poor us, inner city us, suburban us, urban us, educated us. It doesn't 
doesn't matter where you come from, he was given to all of us. It doesn't matter what nation you were born in, he's a gift to all of us. I want to say it doesn't even matter to me what color he was. His blood was red, and because of his blood, we are all made one in him. Glory to God. He was born for all of us. I think all of us should praise him together because he saved all of us. No matter where we came from, somebody give him glory. He's all of our Savior. Jesus belongs to your church and the church down the road that teaches and believes a little different than you. And we think we have a monopoly on Jesus, but you have no monopoly on him. And I want to tell you, as much as you don't, as much as you know, you don't know it all. Sister Yay Yay and Brother Flip Flop, you don't know it all. So why don't you just open up your heart a little bit and recognize that although you don't love some people who are different than you, he loves everybody no matter how much they are different than you. And if we'd start loving each other like he loved us, we'd get along and have a lot more joy in the earth. Looking into the manger, and here's this baby in a manger, and he's going to be called a certain set of names. (laughs) His name shall be called. Somebody's going to call him wonderful. You don't have to. But somebody's going to call him wonderful because that baby who's coming to a manger, number one, I'm going to give you, I'm going to drop five S's on you, then I'm going to get out of your way today. Number one, he's wonderful. He's supernatural. The word wonderful in the Hebrew is a unique word. It's actually only used a few times. It is the Greek of the Hebrew word, rather, pele. It's a unique word because it's the closest word the Old Testament Hebrews had for the word supernatural. In the Hebrew language, when they used the word pele, it it meant something that defied description. Something that defied just a a reasonable uh, uh, explanation. There there were some things uh, 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 that happened that were pele, that defied uh, the mind. They were bigger. They were bigger than than they could think. They were greater. They were greater acts than they could have done in their own strength. And so whenever God interjected himself into humanity, when he he opened up the heavens and, and, and hell fell down on the crops of Egypt when he put the light out in Goshen or in Egypt but he left the light on in Goshen when he turned the river into blood when frogs covered the land in Egypt this was a wonder it was supernatural the devil had put his hands on stuff that belonged to God and God God said I'm going to show you how much power I have oh I just want to stop by and tell someone today that the baby 
that was born in a manger is wonderful. He's supernatural. This is not just a God that you can sit beside all the other gods up on a chimney mantle and rub his belly on the way to the refrigerator and bow a little bit in your living room and have a little peace because of, oh no, this is not that kind of God. This is a wonderful Pele God. This is a supernatural God who stood with Moses at the Red Sea and when Moses lifted up his rod over the Red Sea, wind came from this God of supernatural wonder and breathed upon the Red Sea and it split in half. That is who Isaiah said would be born in a manger. This is not a defeated God. This is a victorious God. This is a supernatural God and I came to tell you he didn't just come to the earth for somebody he came for you he's supernatural he's wonderful look at somebody tell him he's wonderful oh come on in here and just tell the other neighbor tell him he's wonderful do you understand that some people are looking for Mr. Wonderful I want to tell you right now, I found him. My Mr. Wonderful was not born in Dallas. He was not born in Orlando. He was not born in Los Angeles. My Mr. Wonderful was born 2,000 years ago in a manger in Bethlehem. Isaiah said, his name shall be called Wonderful. Oh, I got to keep going. The second thing that Isaiah said about this child, this gift, this baby of promise, he not only would be a a wonderful, supernatural, powerful God, but he would be a counselor. Lord have mercy. Wonderful tells me someone supernatural is coming, but the counselor tells me that a strategist is coming. Oh, I'm going to bless myself today. The word Hebrew, the word in the Hebrew for counselor is ya'atz. It means one who gives advice. One who gives counsel or wisdom. Here's what I like. A divine strategist. Lord, help me teach. You understand that when this baby that was born in a manger grew up, he became a divine counselor. He was a strategist when Peter had a tax bill due and didn't know how he was going to pay it. So they came and said, Lord, we don't know how we're going to pay the tax bill. And Jesus said, I am Mr. Wonderful, and I am a divine counselor, and I'm going to give you a new strategy. Go fishing. I thought, I thought maybe he would tell me where to go get it. Maybe I could steal it from somebody, but Jesus is a divine strategist. He said, go fishing, and the first fish you catch, open up his mouth and pull out the coin. Go pay your tax bill and render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Jesus is a divine strategist. When they went fishing and couldn't catch any fish, he said, you're in the wrong part of the lake. Launch out into the deep. Drop your net on the other side. And the men that were fishing all night couldn't catch anything. Listen to the strategy of the Lord. And they couldn't even bring in the amount of fish because there were so many. He's a divine strategist. When he went to Cana of Galilee, the Bible said they ran out of wine in the middle of the wedding. And when everybody was was having a panic attack the Bible said that Mary looked at the disciples and told the disciples whatever he says do you do it and Jesus said I'm a divine counselor I'm a strategist go get water and put it in the pots 
We don't need water. We need wine. Yeah, but just do what he said. Because if you ever get connected to the divine strategy of God, it may not make sense to your mind, but it may bring a miracle into your situation because God's word never fails. Somebody say amen. His strategy does not always make sense. And because of that, we often miss the divine strategy of God in the pursuit of a carnal strategy that is birthed by the voice of reason. Someone in here came today. Someone is watching me online today. You're in a mess you have made all by yourself. Well, I rebuke the devil. You can rebuke the devil till your rebuker breaks down. But if you keep making the same decisions, if you keep, okay, Pastor, I feel like I've ruined my life. The only way, I heard this for somebody in prayer, the only way you can ruin your life is if you keep listening to the voice that got you to this place of mess you're in. The only way you can ruin your life the rest of your life is by listening to the same voice that got you in the mess you're in. Stop listening to bad strategies. You need a new strategist with a, I feel the Holy Ghost on my head right now. You need a new strategist with a new strategy for your life. In fact, some of y'all this week need to go get Pastor Richie's book, Start here and go anywhere. And his subtitle is my favorite, and it speaks to this point today. Make good choices and how to recover from bad ones. Somebody in here today needs to start making good choices, and somebody in here today needs to recover from a bad one. If you want to recover from a bad choice, you've got to stop listening to voices that got you in the mess and start listening to a divine counselor who knows not only how you got there, but how to take you by the hand and lead you out of this mess into abundant life. Say amen, somebody. Recovery for some of us is getting a new strategist in our life. Someone who knows how to get us out of the mess we've made and lead us down the road of redemption. All the single ladies in, all the single ladies, oh, never mind. All the single ladies and gentlemen, you need a new strategy in your dating life maybe. A new strategy is coming for some of you to your financial picture. A new strategy is coming to you for your marriage. Some of you want a new marriage. You don't need a new marriage. You need a new strategy in the one you're in. You don't need a new spouse. Just go get the one you got, a nice gift. Blow her kisses, sir. Sing her a song. Get her some flowers. It's crazy to me. People have been married for 20 years getting a divorce. Then both of them lose 50 pounds and go win a new spouse. And if they'd have just taken care of themselves in the marriage they're in, they'd still be happy. Y'all not helping nobody today. We need new strategies in the house of the Lord. Everyone wanting a new level in your spiritual walk. You want revival in your house. You need a fresh strategy. Spend your day praying and reading the word more than you do on Facebook and social media. We want something we don't often invest our time in pursuing. And then we get discouraged when we don't get what we desire, but we got what we wanted because we chased what was important to us. 
I can't find no help. It's a new strategy. Some of us need to come into the Lord's house in his presence, sit down on his couch, and let him counsel us. You know what? Today we were having that moment, and I really wasn't sure what to do in worship. I was just waiting and pausing, and it drives some people crazy when you do that. In church, oh my God, I don't like quiet time in church. I'm upset we had to have it because you won't let him have it when you're at home and not in church. Sometimes God doesn't have the opportunity to sit down in council because he has to fit himself into the rest of, are y'all looking at me like y'all offended? I hope y'all don't want your offering back. You just gave Devin and I were so thankful for it, but I'm looking like I got some mad people right now. I came to help you. You can't get out of the mess you're in until you shift your strategy. And if you want what you've always had, Keep on doing what you've always done and listening to the voices you kept on listening to. But if you want something new and you need a new beginning and you want God to do something fresh, it's time to shift your operation, get a new strategist, I feel the Lord, and let him take your life to another level. Say amen, somebody. He's, he's a strategist. So watch this. So the wonderful tells me that the baby who's coming is supernatural, supernatural. The counselor tells me that the one who's coming is a divine strategist. But then he says in the third uh, descriptor of this child, he will be a mighty God. Yes, and that tells me this. Not only is the supernatural one coming, not only is the strategist coming, but the strength is coming as well. Now listen, it is hard to preach on strength in this day and time because we are living in the middle of the wussification of all things strong. We are actually living in a day where people demonize what is, what is strong. I'm going to get in some serious trouble, but I'm going to say this. God is not a liberal, limp-wristed puppet sitting in some far-removed corner of the universe taking orders and seeking permission from a generation that is hell-bent on feminazism. This movement, you better hear me. I was watching TV. I can't even watch TV anymore. More and older and older I get, the more I'm wondering if those old preachers I was listening to growing up had it right. They called it a television. It is a television. It tells a vision. Y'all missed what I just said. I said it tells a vision. And these jokers that are paying money to put this stuff that's telling us a vision have one agenda, to take us away from the nuclear family, take us away from the heart of Abba. They want us to believe that everybody in this world that believes in a moral compass called the Word of God is crazy and narrow-minded and that we have, we have real insecurity problems. I want to tell you right now, strong men is still okay in the Bible. In this world we're living, we still need men with strength. I'm watching TV and three commercials in a row. And listen, you got to hear me. If my wife were here, she would tell you, I'm all about helping 
my family keep my house in order. But the first commercial was the man was washing the clothes with Tide Pods, and the second commercial was a rich cracker commercial, and two men had to give each other a kiss with lipstick on before they went and had their Christmas party and ate their rich crackers. What's the point? The point is we are living in the weakening down and the water. I'm, I'm not going to get any help, but I don't need any. We need strong men to build strong families and raise up strong sons and daughters so that the devil doesn't creep into our generation and lead us into foolishness. No wonder Bobby, who is seven, is having thoughts about being Julie as a girl. He didn't have a daddy who told him, straighten that mess up, boy. You're not bringing that in my house. Well, he deserves freedom, though. He deserves, never mind, you don't, you don't want to. He needs, he needs to be corrected in love. I didn't have all that. I just needed to say it. I I was sitting in a class recently, years ago, finishing up my bachelor's. And I have a prayer journal. And in my prayer journal, Tyler, everywhere I write about God, I use the pronoun he. Because the Bible does. And this person stood up and said, today for your assignment, I am challenging, this was a sweet young lady, she was very ill-informed. She said, I'm challenging all of you to remove the pronoun he from your prayer journal and replace it with she. Now you might hear that mess somewhere else, but you're not going to hear that mess in this house. Because God doesn't wear a skirt, and I understand he's not a man like I am, but this idea that we are reducing our God to some weak, spineless, floating creature that he doesn't seek permission from anyone. He doesn't have to ask anyone for permission. He doesn't have to make a request. You'll never inform him or educate him. He holds the earth in the palm of his hand and the mountain in a span, and he measures the heavens in a scale. This is a mighty God. Sorry. I'm I'm hollering and sweating and the whole bit, but I'm tired of God, us being told that our God is just out of control and this world is so messed up. He's lost control. He sits in heaven. Psalm chapter 2 said, and when they conspire against his holy anointed one, he doesn't panic. He sits back and he laughs because at the end of the day, he's a mighty God. I feel the Holy Ghost. He's a mighty God. All power is his. Heaven and earth are in his hand. He holds it all. He's Somebody praise mighty God. Glory to God. This word, mighty God in the Hebrew, is the Hebrew word El Gibor. Gibor, everyone say Gibor. This word is a word they gave for the victor, for the champion. In 2 Samuel, when they slew Goliath, when David slew Goliath, He walked over, picked up Goliath's sword, 
cut his head off with his own sword. And it says, and when the Philistines saw their Gibor, Goliath, was dead. Their champion had died. Why? Because he walked on the field with the champion, the champion. You say, was it David? Oh, no, you missed the story. David said, you come to me. I feel like preaching with a spear and a sword, but I come to you in the name of the Lord God of Israel. Oh, Jesus, I thank you for what I feel. There is strength and power in this El Gabor God that we serve. The Bible said in Psalm chapter 24, who is this king of glory? Who is the king of glory? That's what the earth is asking now. Where is the king of glory? Who is the king of glory and the gates shout back to those with a question the Lord God strong and Gibor strong and mighty this is a at the end of the day I've already read the back of the book and we are going to win not because of our own strength but because of the God we serve he is a God of strength and power Jesus the good news is that the strong and mighty God has come to do battle for you. Watch this. This is so powerful. If we could get this and put it on the screen. I didn't tell them this, but they're so good. They'll find it anyway. Zephaniah 3. Zephaniah chapter 3. Somebody say strong. Come on, somebody say strong. Somebody say mighty God. This is a God of strength. This is a God of strength. And Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 14 says this. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. For the Lord has taken away your judgments. He cast out your enemy. The king of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall see disaster no more. Verse 16. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem do not fear Zion. Do not let your hands be weak. Look at verse 17. This is going to bless somebody. The Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. How many know that the mighty one is El Gibor? He is the one that breaks in on your enemy, executes his strength and power, and before the battle is over, he fought the battle, but we get the victory because of our God. He's a good God. The last one is this. Or the next one I should say is this. Not only did he come with strength and supernatural power, not only come, did he come to give you a new strategy, but the next thing he says is that he's everlasting father. He brings stability. Stability. Everyone say everlasting. Everlasting means eternal in the Hebrew. It means he had no beginning and he had no end. He is king. He is eternal and everlasting. His kingdom will be an eternal kingdom and an everlasting kingdom. And we find stability in this promise that he will reign forever and ever. Now, when you read Everlasting Father, the first thing people think is, well, I thought God the Father was the Father. How is the Son the Father? 
in this situation and in this passage in the Hebrew, he's not talking about a son like like a, a father, like one who has children. He's talking about a father, uh, like we would talk about George Washington, who is the what? The father of this nation or the father of a kingdom. There, it's not that George Washington had all these children. It's that there was this heart in George Washington that caused him to lay down his life and make decisions that were selfless so that we could have freedom that we have today. And because of his sacrifice, we call him the father of our nation. We also have this idea of the father of this house. Some people say, Pastor Kevin, you're a spiritual father to a lot of people. That doesn't mean I had all of you. <laughs> Just a disclosure here, right? I didn't have a, but as a, as a spiritual leader, my heart, my heart, I, I don't live a day of my life without thinking about you and the family of God and the thing God's called us to here because it is, it is in my heart and in my nature to make sure that I guard and I keep and I do what God's called me to do as a shepherd over this house. And that's what, that's what the prophet is seeing here with this child in a manger. He's, he's seeing that he has the nature of his heavenly father operating and being demonstrated through his life while he's on the earth and even now as an intercessor in heaven, he has a heart of love for you and I. And he has also this amazing kingdom that you and I have gotten to be a part of and will get to be a part of for all of eternity. He's everlasting. You ready for this? Jesus will never expire. He, you'll never wake up one morning and him not be on the throne. He's everlasting. And you and I are to take confidence and find hope in the fact that Jesus is an everlasting father, a shepherd who has a heart for his kingdom and his people. And then finally this, not only does the baby mean that supernatural power is coming and a divine strategist is on the way. Not only is there stability because he's an everlasting father and strength because he's mighty God, but the final thing I want you to see before we close is that this baby coming is the prince of peace. He brings stillness to the turmoil and the turbulence of life. Stillness. Some of you need stillness today. Life is just chaos. Life feels crazy. Corey Ten Boom said this, look at the world and you'll be distressed. Look within yourself and you'll be depressed. Look at Jesus Christ and you'll be at rest. Hallelujah. How many know that there's something powerful about seeing the Prince of Peace and all of his glory? And there is a reason why, Rick, if you'll just play those keys, I'm going to wrap up. There is a reason why the world is in so much, so much turmoil now Previously, and until Jesus returns, the world will always be a place of turmoil. Do you understand that war is nothing new? It's been around for ages. Why? Because there's never been one who can sit on a throne and rule the entire world and give it total peace. But that day is coming. That day is coming when the government of the whole earth will rest upon his shoulders. He will take orders from no one. And no one will have to 
create a committee to keep his power in check because no one has ever had the heart like Jesus and the power. Do you understand that most people with power have a corrupt heart? And because their heart is corrupt, the power they have has been used to harm and bring pain to so many lives. But Jesus will not be a leader. He will not be a prince. He will not be a king who uses his eternal power in abusive ways. He will rest and rule on the throne of David and for eternity he will demonstrate his lordship and his kingdom will never end. And here's the beautiful thing about his kingdom. The lion will lay down with the lamb. This is what the prophet's talking about. He, in his coming, when he comes again, his entire kingdom, will t- it will turn over the upheaval and the curse that Adam invited and, and Adam's sin and transgression. It casts the entire creation into chaos. When Jesus returns, the next time he comes, he will bring out of chaos back into harmony his enti- this entire world. Everything will change and everything will experience peace. And I'm thankful that I don't have to wait till he returns to experience his peace. Because if I make him the Lord of my life right now, he doesn't promise me and you that we will never go through a storm. What kind of theology are we talking about in the church? Say it enough. I've heard the most bizarre stuff. Fake it till you make it. Who wants to live a life of fakery and facade? How are you doing? Oh, no, 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 I'm so wonderful. You're not wonderful, he's wonderful. Life is falling apart sometimes. Bad things happen to good people sometimes. Things don't get answered like we want them to sometimes. We get on boats with Jesus, the one he told us to get on, and we go on a trip he told us to take, and we get caught in a storm? Y'all don't like this preaching. I'll get back to the mighty God thing when we were all shouting. I'm in a storm that I wasn't even, I didn't even want to get on the boat. I didn't even want to take the trip. You got me on the boat, took me on the trip, and now I'm going to die. And they go get Jesus, the Prince of Peace. He walks out on the bow and says, Peace. Be still. And the wind said, Okay. And the waves laid down. And the rain stopped falling, and they got to the other side. I really wish that everybody's screaming and hollering and panicking in this season we're in. And here's the thing I want to tell you a lot of it's happening in the church. I just want to tell you today. There is no panic in Jesus. Story was told 
Adrian Rogers told the story of a ship that was out in the middle of a sea. They had lost their way. Their instruments of navigation were not working. The storm had taken the boat over and water was coming into the boat. The entire crew felt helpless and as if they were going to die. And one man pulled himself up the side of the boat. He was trying to get to the captain whose hands were on the wheel and the wind and the waves and the rain and the storm was ravaging the boat. And he got to the captain. He looked into the captain's eyes and the captain smiled and said, it will be okay. And he walked back to the back of the boat and they all thought they were going to die. And they said, what did the captain say? They said, he just, he said, he just smiled at me and said, we're going to be all right. And here's what I want to tell you. Some of us are listening to the people on the back of the boat who are telling us we're going to die. And today, if you'll just get to the front of the boat and put your eyes on Jesus, the captain still has his hands on the wheel. And he's saying to the church, you're going to make it. The peace speaker is here. He may have never promised there wouldn't be a storm, but he did promise he would never leave you. And in John chapter 16, He said, in this world, you will have some tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I know the peace speaker. Stand with me. I know him by name. I know the peace speaker. He controls the winds and waves. When he says peace, be still. They have to obey. I'm glad I know the peace speaker. Yes, I know him by name.